electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. More layoffs at Google. Has the year of efficiency made way for the year of the AI workforce? Plus, private companies acting like public ones. It is Thursday, January 18th. Welcome to the Tech Check Podcast. I'm Deirdre Bosa with a very special guest today. Mark Gilbert is off. Producer Laura Batchelor, my partner in crime. Hey, I'm so excited to be here. I had to twist her arm to get here, um, but she... Is has so much to say on these topics. So let's get right into it. A few topics to dig into. Yeah. I wanted to start today with the Google layoffs. Uh, it's not the first this year. And CNBC digital re- uh, reporter Jennifer Elias obtained the memo from CEO Sundar Pichai telling employee offs that more layoffs are coming. Which is kind of a reversal of last year when a lot of Wall Street said like Google needed to do more. And I think there's just this perception here in Silicon Valley that Google has gotten pretty fat, right? There was like the story also from Jennifer Elias last year that they laid off masseuses and people were like, what? They had masseuses on staff. So it was really criticized for moving too slowly, especially during this year of efficiency when others like Meta, like Amazon were making larger cuts. Um, But this year, Laura, no mega cap is cutting as much and as quickly. We're only three weeks into 2024. Right. So, Dee, where are the Google, uh, the cuts happening at Google right now? What units are affected? Yeah. So that's hardware, engineering, and ad sales. And reports, the latest ones, say YouTube as well. This is interesting, I thought, because YouTube has really been this growth engine for Alphabet at large. But momentum has slowed in the last few quarters. And that maybe raises questions for other units if you think that this is just the start, as Sundar Pichai said. Right. So could cloud be possible? I mean, it's a huge investment area, but it's still a distant number three among the hyperscalers. Right. Behind Amazon and Microsoft. And I feel like last year that would have been almost like unthinkable because Ruth Pora, we talk to her every quarter and her line is always investment in cloud. This is their sort of big bet. Um, But it's a huge unit and they're still, like you said, in the number three position. Let's talk about the Wall Street reaction, though. Um, we We were looking at this morning just comparing how Google's done this year versus the other mega caps. And really, it's been lukewarm, right? Right. It's been in the middle. Um, not leading the charge among its mega cap peers like NVIDIA, but not lagging behind, like, uh, I believe, who is the, the laggard? Apple. Apple is the laggard so far this year. And, you know, maybe because analysts and investors, like we said, have been calling for more cuts, more efficiency from an alphabet, while other mega caps, Meta, Amazon, they were actually cutting workforces last year on an absolute basis. So they were like in a deficit, right? We looked at Amazon's um, recently and they were hiring. Their piece of hiring was like in the double digits a year ago. And then that has reversed and it's been in the negative. It's been it's been contracting over the last, I think, four quarters. Google just slowed hiring. I remember that conference call when they were asked like right away by analysts, are you cutting? And they're saying, no, we're going to slow the pace of hiring. We only expect to hire, I think it was like 12,000 at one point. And Wall Street saw that as a pretty big number. So this is sort of the question we've been asking 
early this year. This isn't the first time we're asking it. What if Google's latest layoffs are just the beginning of a new trend? So rather than playing catch up or correcting post-pandemic, which is what the street sort of seems to think, this is actually Google getting into position for an AI platform shift that will require a very different kind of workforce. Yeah. And so Pachai's memo to employees supports that idea. He wrote, the reality is that to create the capacity for AI investment, we have to make tough choices. And for some teams, that means, quote, removing layers to simplify execution and drive velocity. And and you found a great chart that helped illustrate this workforce shift at Megatech, uh, Megacap Tech Company. Yeah. You know, as companies grew their headcount during the pandemic, everyone knows that the megacaps did that, except for Apple, let's say. Um, What happened to their productivity? So despite that narrative that Google was slow to cut, this chart actually shows us that its workforce became more productive than those at Microsoft, Amazon, and Meta from 2018 to 2022. So it, it increased revenue per employee at a better rate. And we have to sort of we have a disclaimer here. It tracks from 2018 to 2022, and those other companies made more cuts. So that might look different today. But I think it just underlines this point that a lot of folks thought that Google was, you know, fat, quote unquote, fatter than some of the other companies, had fatter workforces, but really its productivity for a long time was a little better as well. So that's kind of counter narrative, but that's what the numbers show us. That's what the data shows us. And right. And so Axios put this trend another way this morning, and, and then they were spot on. They um, they said, the year of efficiency made me do it has made way for, quote, AI made me do it. It's the new justification for layoffs. Right. Blame the machines. And you and I were working on this story. I was like writing forever and forever this morning. And then right as we were about to go on TV, we see this Axios headline, which put it so succinctly, AI made me do it. But I wonder if that's something that we could be hearing a lot more. And actually, today, we heard from Zuckerberg. Right. So Zuckerberg announced that they're doing a reorg of their AI team. And so this looks like this could be the beginning of a pattern. And actually, there's been one company that has explicitly said they're cutting because of AI. Right. That's Duolingo. Um, Gilbert and I talked about this the other day, but they laid off about 10% of their contract workers, saying that they just no longer need as many people to do the type of work that some of these contractors were doing, i.e. software engineers. And I think that's sort of the cohort of employees that maybe most nervous. I did like a quick search on the Google, um, what do you call it, like talent website for open positions. And there was more open positions for data scientists, something that you need to develop AI models than there were for software engineers. And this whole idea that like a JAT, GPT, or BART and these large language models can do a lot of the work that software, especially junior software engineers, have typically been doing. I think it also highlights that ed tech is sort of at like, mm-hmm. right? Think of Chegg. Their stock took a huge hit when chat, they talked about ChatGPT having an impact and sort of using AI as a tool, to, as an educator tool, yeah. really disrupt some other companies. And like if they don't figure out how to use generative AI to make their workforces and their business models more efficient, they risk actually being totally disrupted or defunct because of this generative AI movement. Side story there. Um, last night, I have an eight-year-old who loves to play video games, but last night, this is going to sound so cheesy, but he actually asked me if he could play around with like chat GPT instead. I sound like such a, <laughs> I, I want to say tech bro, the equivalent, but I thought 
it's it's kind of like catching on and just our conversation about generative and a and education generative ai and education made me think about that and just sort of like i've i've heard other parents talk about how they use chat gpt to tell bedtime stories right they oh. work together to create a bedtime story where the main character looks and it's exactly like their child and it's sort of this custom story telling tool. Wow, that is a great parent hack. I had not heard of this. You need to share more of this with me. Um, but let's let's talk about like the human aspect of this because so often we do talk about these layoffs and how they fit into this efficiency drive and how Wall Street wants to see more of them. But there's such a real human aspect of this. And you and I, we both live in San Francisco. So we know people who are affected by this. I've heard from employees who are also friends at tech companies who are anxious and wondering if their division is next. And it doesn't have to be ad sales. It can be in like the moonshot department. Like we said, it could be in cloud. We just don't know. But Sundar Pichai's message in that memo last night was very, very clear. They are trying to renew or shift the business in this new sort of era. And there's going to be new efficiencies. Definitely. It's incredibly stressful for the employees. It's really tough on morale. But it got me wondering about the strategy of making small cuts versus the opposite approach of other tech companies that we've seen, you know, during the pandemic, where they would make, you know, one giant sweeping yeah. cut. I mean, even earlier this year, uh, Unity cut a huge chunk of its right. workforce. I think when I think about the playbook and like how to do the very difficult and upsetting task of cutting your workforce, how to do that well, like relatively well. I think about Brian Chesky at Airbnb, different situation because that was at the beginning of the pandemic and that was just, they knew what was looming ahead of them. Whereas I think AI is a little different. You're figuring it out in real time, but he went in and cut a quarter of Airbnb's workforce. And in the year since when we've talked to him, he said it was like going from the Navy to the Navy SEALs, a small, lean, elite group. But that's essentially what the mega caps may be confronting right now. How do they make these lean elite groups for a generative AI age. Right. And and maybe that strategy of one tough cut doesn't work as uh, companies are mid-shift, right? So it's an interesting debate to have. Another story we wanted to cover that's been on top of that's been on the top of our minds here and definitely in the valley is the rise of employee share buybacks. I love this story. You and I both love this story. That's how I got you on the pod. I said, I said, we're gonna talk about this. And Laura, you love looking at the private markets and you you're well sourced in them and know what's going on. And in this case, it's like private companies acting like public companies, which puts us in such a difficult position because at CNBC, we you know tend to focus on the public companies, the ones that are tradable. Um, and some of the most interesting private companies are just, they're so old. They're like senior citizen unicorns. And they don't even ever, <laughs> you talk to some of the CEOs and founders, they don't want to go public. They don't want to be a slave to the to the quarterly conference call. Um, so now they're sort of taking things into their own hands and doing share buybacks in the private markets. It's also a way to let their employees who are waiting for this liquidity moment to cash out. So um, Eric Newcomer, um, whose newsletter you should definitely be reading, he had this great piece yesterday about how names like SpaceX and Stripe are buying back their own shares. And you know he said this point, they're behaving like public companies. And then also, Laura, there was another piece of news separately last night on Databricks. Right. Databricks is prepping for an employee uh, share sale. And it's going to be at the same valuation, a, a $43 billion valuation. Um, and I should note that the company is not lining up new investors, according to my source. 
Um, but it's it's definitely this debate that CEOs, founders here have, you know, why go public when you can act like a, a public company but remain private? And that's what Eric Newcomer was saying in, in his speech. Right. And we should also note, though, that only a select group of companies can pull off this move, right? And that's a select few, the Stripes, the SpaceXs, maybe the the bite dances. Um, but, you know, these ones that haven't seen, I will actually, in the case of Stripe, they have seen um, down rounds, quote unquote, um, but they can go through that in private and they can still pull off this kind of move. There's there's demand for their shares. For their shares. Um, it's also really importantly a way for CEOs to wrestle back some control, something that Elon Musk was tweeting or posting, whatever you want to say, about on X earlier this week. Um, he tweeted, I'm going to quote him here, I'm uncomfortable growing Tesla to be a leader in AI and robotics without having around 25% voting control, enough to be influential, but not so much that I can't be overturned. Unless that is the case, I would prefer to build products outside of Tesla. <laughs> and I mean, this has been a journey with Elon Musk. You know, he's been saying he's going to take Tesla private and so on. But again, it just sort of illustrates this point where founders are thought to have more control in the private markets. And if you do all of these funding rounds in the boom times, like many of them have, like a Stripe, for example, and you've raised a ton of money, have a lot of valuation, you could be giving up some control, right? You have to exchange something for that money that you're raising, and that's usually equity to venture capitalists. Right. And you also have to answer to Wall Street shareholders, right? You're having those quarterly calls. You have to be much more uh, transparent about some of your your business models, right? When you remain private, you, you don't, you're not required to release quarterly results. There's a lot more freedom there. So this story is basically about having your cake and eating it too. Staying private, but doing share buybacks. And, and, you know, important point, employees, they don't mind as long as, actually, I don't know. I can't say if they mind because maybe they could have got a higher price for it or a lower price for it in the open market, in the public markets. But it is a way for them to cash out when there's very, very few IPOs. Speaking of IPOs, there could be signs of life in the IPO market. It's very exciting. Uh, Reuters uh, reporting that Reddit is said to be seeking a March IPO debut or a launch in IPO in March. I will say a social media company IPO would be interesting. The last one to go public was Pinterest in 2019. Um, had a rough ride, like a many of the IPOs that went public in 2019 to 2021. Um, but this is like I was talking about aging unicorns. <laughs> How old is Reddit? Reddit is going to be 19 years old this year. Wow. So as we talk about some of those select private companies that can, you know, do, you know, sort of the financing privately, Reddit is in a position where it can't yeah. do that. And so it's looking to the IPO. And the Reuters article did note that this is not 100%. There is a chance that Reddit will push back the state or not go public at all, right. which has happened in the past before. Like, this is not a, sh a sure thing. No, I mean, I was going to say, don't hold your breath because we thought the IPO markets were opening last fall with Arm and Clavio and, did I say that right? Clavio, thank you, and uh, Instacart. And the reception wasn't all that great. So I don't know, the IPOs this this year are going to be a big open question. Gilbert and I talked yesterday about Shein and some of the challenges it's facing. Um, stay tuned. But Laura, I want to thank you very much for jumping on the pod. You're you're going to be a regular now. It was a blast. Thanks for having me. Okay, tune in tomorrow. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. 
NextGuard Plus Chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease. Plus, it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored, soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurologic disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive.